Hey, 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 what's up, what's up? Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, and however we're together. Thank you for being here. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So what's in my head? First thing out the gate, let's let's just kick in the door. Um, I'm not going to wait a 4-4, but let's talk about the Kyrie situation. Um, if you're not familiar, somehow with the Kyrie situation, he shared a 2018 documentary um, entitled Hebrews to Negroes Wake Up Black America. I will say from the onset, I have no idea um, about this documentary. I've never seen it. Um, it's not something that's popped on my radar, but apparently it pissed off a lot of people because he shared a link. And so... I find some fault with that, right? Because now it's, you know, I've always had this thing where I, I don't really believe in cancel culture is not really um, my thing. I don't go around going, oh my God, they're being canceled. Um, I think cancel culture or the phrase cancel culture is just some Republican talking point to try to drum up more fear and hatred and fake outrage and all that stuff. So cancel culture has never been a thing for me. I say that to say this screams of ulterior motive, not canceling actual ulterior motive. Whereas people who are now coming at Kyrie didn't have the balls to come at him directly for whatever their real beef is. And so they're coming at him about sharing a link to a movie. Now, this is not the only offensive or to some segment of the population movie out there in existence. There are some people who find offense to, and I can't remember the name of the actress right now for some reason, um, but she did the TV series, uh, How to Get Away with Murder, and she just starred as like the leader of an all-women's uh, warrior, African warrior gang, whatever you want to call it, or army. And there are some black people who took offense to it because of the apparent lack of truth-telling that was a part of that movie. So anyone who shared that movie, so they also face the backlash that Kyrie is facing. And it's okay. I mean, this is supposedly a free country. Feel free however you want to feel. Feel free to feel however you want to feel. You want to be pissed off at Kyrie for sharing something you feel that's offensive to you or your people, your background, your culture, whatever. That's your prerogative. I have a problem, though, with the NBA or his team, excuse me, suspending Kyrie and then putting this whole list of caveats that he has to do in order to be reinstated. First of all, show me in the player's agreement where it says you can find me or make me pay $500 in any charity for anything that I do. $500,000 is one of the caveats. He must donate $500,000, I think, to anti-Semite or whatever um, charities. How are you tapping my pockets for a free speech? That's number one. Um, and then he's got to apologize, which I swear he's already done that. Um, and I can't remember all, all the other, the caveats, but it, it's like five things he's got to do in order to get back on a team. I think sensitivity training or something like that, or talk to a Jewish people. I don't know, something, whatever. If I'm him, I obviously don't have his money, his career, his lifestyle. Don't know the implications of what I'm about to say, but if I'm him, fuck you. I'm not doing any of that. And excuse my language, but no, hell no. I have the right to say what I want. I shared a link 
and I'm in my Kyrie voice. I shared a link. I didn't go out and say, I hate Jews or I hate this person. I shared a link to a movie, which by the way, you can find on Amazon Prime and a bunch of other places. This movie is apparently out there fully and freely distributed for all to see and watch. Not like, like it, whatever. You can five-star rate it. You can one-star rate it. It's a movie. Somebody's creative juices created this movie. Again, I haven't seen it. Don't know how offensive or not offensive it is. I know I've seen a lot of offensive movies in my life. I didn't go tap in somebody's pockets for $500,000 for somebody putting it out there that the movie exists. And that's my problem. We're supposedly a free country, right? And I can go down the list of people who have posted some really messed up offensive stuff that didn't get their pockets tapped, didn't get, you know, all this, this fake backlash. I'm calling it fake because I feel like this is about something else. This is about something else. And they're using this as an opportunity to come at Kyrie. Now, I'm listen, I'm not some crazy rabbit Kyrie fan. I don't even start watching the NBA until after the All-Star break. It's too many damn games. Like, I'm not going to sit there and watch 82 games on my team. I'm just not going to do it. And so I'm not as attached to the NBA as I would say the NFL or college football. But this this whole situation, and I'm not laughing at the situation, I'm not laughing at the movie, I'm laughing at the fake outrage. I'm laughing at, laughing at these conditions that the NBA now is stepping in and putting, or excuse me, the Brooklyn Nets are stepping in and putting these conditions on Kyrie to remove his suspension. It'll be interesting to see what the Players Association does. It's apparently, they're supposedly going to try to intervene on Kyrie's behalf, which that's their job. So like the union, that's their job to defend their rep, if you will, or rep their, their, their employee, if you will, or their whatever it's called with unions. So we'll see where this goes. But I, I find it strange that all the offensive things. I'm not even going to name names. Y'all know who I'm talking about. All the offensive things shared by other people. There hasn't been this level of outrage for sharing a movie that's literally on Amazon Prime that you can go watch anytime you want to. That's what the backlash is about. That he shared a link to a movie that's widely available. It's just strange to me. The whole, the whole situation is just strange to me. I, just, I, don't, I honestly just don't get it. Because I, I, I would get it if he literally said, yo, watch this. This is why I hate Jews. Or something to that effect. And it, it, maybe I'm wrong. But to my understanding, he never said anything derogatory about Jews. He shared a movie link. And where do we go from here? If I share, say, I'm going to go see uh, Black Panther tomorrow. If there's some line in that movie that's offensive or might be derogatory to somebody else, and I just share the movie, can they go in and say, well, Dave said that he shared this movie, so he must support this offensive line in you know the 13 seconds of this line in that two-hour movie. Is that where we're at? First, I'll say this. I don't really care about your opinion. I'm going to share what I want to share when I share it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to follow me. You really don't. Move on with your life. Number two, again, we claim to have free speech. 
Now, I've always said free speech does not free you from repercussions. Now, granted, repercussions could be people stop buying Kyrie jerseys, people stop supporting the Brooklyn Nets, people stop watching the, the games. You don't have the right to tap his pockets. You don't honestly have the right to suspend him. If I'm Kyrie, I'm filing a lawsuit. Y'all really, y'all want to turn up on me? I'm going to turn up right back. That's how I feel about it. Kyrie should sue the shit out of everybody. Anybody who's touched this. That's my opinion. The next thing that's on my mind are the elections. For weeks and weeks and weeks, a long time, we were told by talking heads all throughout the media that this huge, big red wave was coming. We were turning this country from red, white, and blue to just straight red. Now, I don't mean Soviet Union red. I mean conservative red. GOP, you and me. That's what we were doing. And then Tuesday happened. This past Tuesday, you see me, if you're watching on YouTube or a Spotify video, you see me sporting my John Lewis, my brother, late brother, fraternity brother, John Lewis. It's just kind of like my uniform when I go to vote on election day. I just, I got to rock my John Lewis because he said, go out there and vote and get in good trouble. But we were told this big, massive red wave was coming. And as we sit right in here right now, because they're, listen, I do this every year. I talk about it every year. I've been talking about it for way over a decade. Every time election season comes around, I ask the same damn question. Why is it? that I can pay my taxes online. I can log into the site, verify my identity, all these things and pay my taxes. I can pay the government what they, what they want from me or what they tell me I should pay them. Every year I can do that. I can log into one of my bank accounts whose identity has already been verified. I have a login and password. I can send you a thousand dollars from my bank. I can log into PayPal, send you a thousand dollars. I can connect to my cash app. Send you $1,000. But when it comes to voting, I've got to go stand in line. Why is that? And even if I do early voting, you got to match signatures and all this stuff. So there's verification in place. When I went to vote on Tuesday, two days ago, when I'm recording this, when I went to vote, guess what they did? They wanted my voter registration card or my ID. Cool. Which one do you want? Because I got both. Verification done. Ching, ching. And I voted. How's that any different from me voting online? I can scan. Matter of fact, we can do this on our phones. I don't even have to sit in front of a computer. Literally, we can scan our IDs on our phones. I know we've done it already because I know I've done it for healthcare. I've done it for life insurance, taking a picture of my ID, front and back. And then my front camera took my picture to verify it was me. We, we can do this. Why do we have to get out of bed even to go vote at this point? I can log into my phone, go to my Amazon Prime account, and buy a shit ton of stuff, and nobody bats an eye because I'm spending money. But my ID's been verified. My bank processes the transaction. My stuff comes the next day because I got Prime and I pay for that overnight stuff. So, why can we do that? We can't vote online. I ask this question every single year because it's 2022 and it makes no sense. It's not fraudulent, it's actually efficient. It's very efficient. The deep dark secret is more participation in elections does not really bode well for one party. 
Republicans don't do well when there's a, a wide turnout, a big turnout. It's just look at the history, do your own research. Democrats don't do well when the turnout is lower. And you can look at certain states that put certain restrictions, arresting people for different things, even before the election started, intimidation factors, changing voting booths or voting areas. I, I, I know for a fact in Delaware, where I'm at right now, that a large number of people went to a polling place and were turned away and told, no, you're the wrong one because of redistricting that happened. Redistricting that happened. Now, whether those people say it was 100 people, whether those 100 people took the time and went to the other place, it was supposedly a you know, five-mile or five-minute drive down the road or something like that. But whether those people who had already carved out time in their day to go vote left and went to the other place, say it was 50 of them. Now you lost 50 voters, regardless of who they were going to vote for. Always say, I don't care who you want to vote for. Number one, vote. But number two, there should be no restriction to voting. I'm totally okay with a official ID being the only requirement or voter registration card, which is the case of uh, the place that I went to. But I never thought about that. If you have a voter registration card, here you go. That's me. I'm voting. But no red wave pissed off a lot of people because it wasn't supposed to be this close. So as of right now, as the time I'm recording this, the Senate is officially tied up 48-48. Now, it's really 46 for the Dems with two independents who kind of caucus with the Dems. So it's really tied up 48-48. There's really three races that are going to decide who has the majority power in the Senate. Now, granted, if it finishes 50-50, the Democrats have the tie because Kamala Harris is the vice president. Vice president breaks the tie in the Senate. I can't see a situation where uh, Dems in the House put together legislation, it gets tied in the Senate, it's Joe Biden's initiative, and Kamala Harris goes, you know what, I'm going to vote against this. I can't see a situation. So it's a damn um, majority. The first is in Arizona. The Senate seats in Arizona um, right now, because Arizona takes forever to count, just like Nevada takes forever to count, just like California takes forever to count. It's 2022. I don't get it. But okay, we got to stay with paper ballots, whatever. My frustration with the voting system. But Dems are ahead right now, approximately 90,000 votes, waiting for some mail-ins to come in, Different two different districts got to report, whatever. Maybe by this weekend we'll know what happens in Arizona. Nevada right now, I know some votes came in this morning because when I woke up, I saw the numbers changed. And so a 25,000 vote um, lead for the Republican is now down to just slightly less than 15,000 with more votes to come in. So who knows? It could wind up being now. Here, here's the situation, as I understand it. And I watch um, the guy on MSNBC because he is actually he's the best nerd out there. And so I'm a big geek. So I love nerd stuff. Plus, the way he presents it is way better. I've tried watching Fox. I've tried watching CNN. I, I don't even like the way CNN does it. Fox is tolerable. Um, but MSNBC, uh, Karnacki, I think is his name. He, he's the ax, ax, the the goat of elections. OK, actual goat. So. Here's how it works, that I understand it. If the Dems win Arizona and Nevada, that pretty much game over. If Republicans get one of those two states, then it comes down to Georgia. And I don't know what the hell's going on with Georgia. I don't understand how Herschel Walker and um, current Senator Raphael Warnock are even in a runoff <laughs> to take place four weeks from now. But yes, 
somehow neither so neither got 50% in Georgia you have to get 50% even if you're you win you have to be over 50% I think Warnock was like 49.2 or something like that and so he did beat Herschel Walker um, there was an independent I think that snatched about 80,000 votes and they were only separated by I want to say 20 something thousand um, and so the runoff is going to take place on December 6 depending what happens with Arizona Nevada either that's to get to 50 50 which would be victory for the democrats it could be to decide uh 51 49 right so republicans going into that runoff could be down 50 to 49 and basically all you're trying to do is not make it 51 49 or it could be 50 republicans at that point because it could get both of those states arizona nevada it could be 50 49 for um republicans and then that runoff turns into well will it be a republican majority or will it be a democratic majority by virtue of kamala harris so bunch of scenarios here right but here here's the thing in the house it's currently projected to be 222 to 213 for the republicans here's the issue right now the plus or minus is seven so the high that could be there for the Democrats is actually 220. You need 218 to have the majority in the House. It's possible that after all said and done, the Democrats could have the majority in the Senate kept and a majority in the House kept by literally two uh, representatives. But Or it could be the Republicans actually get the House back and take back the Senate. Now, if you've paid attention to politics in the last 20 freaking years, you understand that if the Democrats lose the House and the Senate, nothing will happen at all legislatively to benefit you or I for the next two years. It literally will be a shit show in D.C. because even if legislation passes by the majorities the Republicans will have, Biden will veto it, and then there's no filler or there's no veto-proof majority that the Republicans will have, so the veto will stand, the law won't pass, nothing will get done. And they'll have this whole shutdown thing every time it'll go through, and it'll up, raise and drop the Dow, and it'll just be a fucking mess. My preference, and again, I'm an independent, I've talked about being independent, my preference is regardless of what party is president, that I, I prefer that party to also have the legislative branch. Why? Because something will get done. We'll find out if it's the right thing or the wrong thing, but at least something will get done. Because as long as the legislative and executive branches are split, they have shown historically they will not work together for the betterment of me and you. So I'd prefer we go to the next presidency with the House and the Senate, both in Democratic control. That way, you know what? If you screw it up, it's all on Dems. If you get it right, it's all on Dems. We'll see what happens. Basically, four weeks from now, we'll know a whole heck of a lot. This weekend, we'll know a whole heck of a lot about how this is going to play out. It's quite interesting, though, because the last twice impeached president endorsed all these candidates. And the most comical one that I've had conversations back and forth on social media with the last day or so after the election is the Fetterman Oz Pennsylvania one. Why is it comical? It's comical because there's this whole thing that's happening now with Pennsylvania's, um, a lot from Republicans, some are Democrats as well, 
where they're posting a lot and it's it's kind of like i can't believe pennsylvania is dumb because they elected somebody who's mentally diminished because Fetterman had a stroke now i'm not a doctor i just play one on my podcast and so i'll break it down like this the way i understand strokes and i'm familiar with strokes just because i've known people who've had strokes multiple people who've had strokes how you recover is made up of number one where the stroke happened the severity of the stroke all those different things however indications are and nobody's seen his medical records because he hasn't shared them that he will essentially make a full recovery it will take time but he'll make a full recovery and so right now he has trouble understanding verbally he can speak verbally but again he's had a stroke so it's it's steps it's like you know you had a stroke and you lose the ability to walk on one side well you got to learn to walk again and so the fact that he's still in this recovery and he will be in recovery when he takes over um, in January with the new session of Congress is appalling to some people. It's interesting to me that this is the reason that they chose. Now, now let's let's talk about the, the elephant in the room. Oz, a Jerseyan, made his residency in Pennsylvania just for the sake of winning this election not the best candidate the thing about this whole election and something i just did not expect them to do and i actually i mean it's to me it's kind of shady but it's also very creative right i mean you kind of have to give them kudos for it actually working but what dems did in a lot of the races is they actually dumped money during the primaries into republican candidates they wanted to win so that they would face them in the general election why would they want to do that well they did it because they were such horrible candidates that it almost assured them victory in the general election and people voted for them that's the the thing that drives me nuts is that these candidates were so bad yet a large percentage of that voting areas populace Republicans voted for this person anyway simply to not vote for the Democrat. And this is the issue I have. As an independent, I voted for Democrats, I voted for Republicans, whether it be presidents, governors, whatever. I vote for the best person. I don't really care about party because, you know, parties annoy me anyway. I'm a big proponent of destroying the two-party system in its entirely anyway. So a lot of these candidates were so horrible, right? Just, just, Just so horrible that... They should have never been the candidate to win. But Dems dumped money into their campaigns, actually bought ads for them so that people would think that these candidates were actually pretty good, vote them in the primary to get them to the general election, and then vote for them again. In a way, it's genius. Um, I'm pretty sure they did not expect this to be the result. And this is the result of that. That strategy to <laughs> buy the the ads for your enemy so to speak the enemy of my enemy is my friend um it worked i mean the reason we're actually talking about no red wave is because dems held seats or took seats from really bad candidates and so my suggestion to republicans is to go back and strategize look within at the candidates you're putting forward and dumping money into because i would do it again i mean i honestly would do it again I would pay, and assuming Warnock wins, and I think he'll win just because I think now that there's no governor 
right? Because Stacey Abrams uh, lost the governorship for Georgia again. And so my belief, and I don't know this to be a fact, but my belief is that Herschel Walker was brought up by that gubernatorial, gubernatorial race. And so now you have a runoff. It's mano y mano, right? A lot of people who just probably voted straight Republican didn't really care about Herschel Walker specifically. They wanted Stacey Abrams not to win because Stacey Abrams was, blew, was blown out. But now that you have mano y mano, there's a lot of trouble with Herschel Walker. And so we'll see if it's a five or six point win for Warnock. We know that to me, Herschel Walker was brought up by the governor race. If it's again, you know, less than a point or within one point, then there's a lot of people who voted for the governor race that said, you know, what, screw it. I want a Republican or maybe people who sat out and said, oh, you know, I got to I got to get in there and vote now for for Herschel. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Interesting election, I'll say that. Very interesting election. What's in my head is brought to you in part by Digga Movers, your safe and swift moving company. An A-plus rated one-stop shop licensed and insured moving company. Providing local and long-distance services on the move. For more information, visit their website at www.digamovers.com or call 1-888-77-DIGGUM. That's 1-888-777-4436. Now, the last thing that's on my mind is probably the most annoying um, of the three things, even the Kyrie situation. And that involves a racist incident that occurred at University of Kentucky. And so I'm not going to say the name of the person who is racist because I can definitively say this person is racist. Alcohol doesn't make you racist. Alcohol makes you very comfortable being racist. And so Kyla Spring was doing her job at the school um, and a drunk girl comes in and by Kyla's own description on her TikToks, I actually watched that video. Basically, the girl was kind of stumbling, talking to the elevator, um, just did not appear to be a student, did not have her badge, all those things. And so Kyla doing her job uh, caused the resident assistant, the RA, if you've been to college, um, on call that night. Um, it took a while for that person to get there. And in the time it took for that person to get there, Kyla tried to prevent this person from going into the elevator because one, she doesn't have a badge, two, she's intoxicated. And so they're instructed to, one, make sure that they're okay. Make sure that they get to where they're going um, because they're clearly intoxicated. And so this, this girl, a uh, young white girl, physically assaulted Kyla, hurled racial slurs at her over and over again and, you know, showed her true colors. Um, I believe the lawyer I read said, oh, she's embarrassed now and she'll probably withdraw. She was pretty much expelled from University of Kentucky, cannot re-enroll. Um, so to me, she may have withdrew. She wasn't coming back anyway. Um, but physically assaulted. Kyla punched her in the head uh, from when I was watching her TikTok. Um, of course, her called her the N-word, told her to um, go do her chores, um, called her a N-word bitch. Um, just all the things I can recall from 
from the video I've seen. And I've seen a couple people talk about the fact that, oh, you know, she was drunk. And I've already stated it. <laughs> Being drunk doesn't make you racist. Right. You are racist to your core. And being drunk releases that, you know, that filter that says, oh, I probably shouldn't be racist in front of these people. Oh, I don't want to show my racism. Being drunk kind of releases those filters that you had, the, the fakeness that you've actually carried around trying to be not a racist. And so she was arrested as well because apparently, and I didn't see this in the video, it wasn't shown, but apparently she bit an officer who was trying to arrest her. She resisted arrest. You did see that on the video. Um, and she was charged with a couple of crimes, posted $10,000 bail. Um, and I believe her preliminary hearing is in a couple of days. And until then, she's basically home in order not to drink. I've always wondered, though, just, just a sidebar. I've always wondered when somebody is sent home on bail in order not to drink. How do they know? Because unless they have some sort of drinking monitor or breathalyzer they need to blow into every day. How do you know that they don't drink unless they show up to the court for whatever the next process is and they're you know, stepping in a process? Unless they show up drunk or intoxicated in some way. How does how does that work? Um, but back to back to this. So one of the things I talk about a lot is recording everything, making sure that we record everything, because if not for this recording. One, we would have never known what happened Two, we might not have believed that it actually happened. And I don't say we, including me, I say we, including some of you um, way out there in the world might not have believed her story if she told it exactly as we saw it on the video. There have been people out there saying, oh, she's just using a race card. I'm pretty sure it wasn't that bad. Oh, she's just throwing a race card it's just to stir something up. Oh, it's just them BLM people. But the beauty about recording something, and this is what this is how we technology wise advanced the society, right? Because we have cameras everywhere now. And so what I always encourage, whether it's police interactions, people interaction, walking your dog, whatever, have your phone, which record interactions as soon as they start. There's glasses that you can actually wear that have cameras built into them. I've actually looked into buying one, but and there's, you can get your own body cam. Literally, I, I can post a link from Amazon where you can actually buy your own body cam. And there, plus, if you've seen auditing online, one of my favorite pastimes to do when I'm actually chilling on the couch and not doing nothing is watch auditors. Um, because one, they know their rights. And two, they kind of piss off people for no reason. Literally, the Karens of the world, they piss off. But record everything. Because if not for this recording, we would not have seen what actually happened. Like, and I'm going to say the word, it's going to be offensive, offensive to some people. And I apologize. Mute the next 10 seconds if you don't want to hear it. But would you really have believed if someone said that somebody called them a nigger bitch? Like, would you really have believed somebody actually said that to this young lady if you did not have video to prove it? First of all, who says that? Like, I've never heard those two words put together. So I've never heard that before. But. Not that it's funny, hilarious, haha, but it's kind of like, really? That's the best you got? Kind of thing, right? And if you look at the video, at some points during the video, and I don't know if this is her emotional response to the trauma she's enduring, but even some points during the video, Kyla is, is like smiling. Like she even says at one point, Y'all don't I don't get paid enough to do this. And 
second pause on this topic. Give Kyler Spring as much kudos as you can for not beating the shit out of this woman in real time. Because I got to tell you, I'm a calm dude. I lay back. I like to chill, travel, have some tacos, and enjoy this life. I don't do racism that well. Don't spit on me, cause that's a that's a, that's a whole trigger. Um, I don't do disrespect well, and not to say that I would have got physical, although it was it was a physical situation. Not to say I wouldn't have snapped and and you know beat the heck out of this girl or any guy or any person. But in this situation, I applaud her with the standing golf clap, whatever, for remaining calm and not beating the shit out of this girl in real time, because. She clearly physically could have. She was big. I don't know the, the height size difference. You can't really tell that the white girl had heels on. And I think the, I think Kayla had on um, whatever those like nurse things are. You see a lot of nurses wear them. I can't think of the name of the shoe, but they kind of, kind of like the holes in them and you kind of slide into them, whatever. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But physically, Kyla looked like she was bigger than the girl. Like 10 pounds, 20 pounds. I don't know. Physically, she could have beat the shit out of her any time. And so I want to give Kyla credit for remaining just calm. Just, I, I'm at a loss of words. Because just thinking about this in my head, I don't know at that age that I would have been able to do that. And I don't know Kyla's age, but I'm imagining if she's a senior, junior at University of Kentucky... She's 20, 21, 22. I don't know. They get smarter. This new generation, Gen Z, is smarter, so she might be 19, 18. Who knows? Either way, she's between that 18 and 22. I'm, I'm assuming I'm right when I say that. Me, 18 to 22 in that situation, I don't know that I've been able to restrain myself faced with that much racism and physical assault that was going on. And so, golf clap to her. But that's what's in my head. So uh, across the country, younger and younger Americans are answering the call to serve for the betterment of what I call the citizenry, which we all call the citizenry. Um, We had the elections, like I talked about in my opening segment this past Tuesday. And I do want to highlight a couple of firsts that happened during this election. So... In Massachusetts, Democratic State Attorney General Maura Healey was the first elected female governor and the nation's first out lesbian state legislative or state executive. In Arkansas, Republican Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you might remember her from, I believe, the former Trump White House press secretary, was the first female governor of Arkansas. Go figure. In Maryland, an MPAC brother, uh, Democrat Wes Moore, an alpha male. Not alpha male, but an alpha, phi alpha fraternity incorporated male <laughs> will be the first, the state's first black governor. In Michigan, Democrat Shri uh, Butcher, the last name looks like Thanadar, will be the first Indian American elected to Congress. And in Florida, believe this or not, because Florida was a mess on Tuesday, Democrat Maxwell Frost will be the first member of the Gen Z to Congress. The young people are starting to make their mark. Now, um, one thing I found kind of interesting about the election, um, looking at, you know, like I told you the opening segment, I watched MSNBC because of Kanaki is just a man, a big nerd with the board and all that stuff. But one thing I've noticed on that board, whenever he's talked about Nevada, which is one of the 
three states that have outstanding senator um, elections going on right now, they have an option for none of these candidates, which I love. Um, one thing that about it, the, the, <laughs> the election that it was a part of, there were actually two people below none of the above in that election. So none of the above was basically none of the above, but none of these candidates was the actual term had 9,645 votes beating two candidates, which had 6,085 and 4,788. Why do I like that option? Because if you paid attention to this election across the country, there are some, excuse my language, some shitty candidates. And I think given the electorate, the option to say, you know what? I don't like any of these people kind of sends a signal to the Dems and Repubs that maybe you need to do better. That's what the hope is anyway, that maybe this option added to the ballots all across the nation will kind of get the little spark and make the quality of the candidates a little better. Obviously we're talking about the election this week and I want to bring in my guest for this episode, Terrell A. Williams, a little bit about him. He's a community activist, a graduate of Western Michigan university where he earned a law degree, a two time graduate of Cheney university or the Cheney university where he earned a master's degree in public administration and a bachelor's degree in social relations. He has over 20 years of service in the United States army between active duty, the reserves and the national guard happily married with a blended family. And he was a candidate for the 2022 election for the Delaware House of Representatives in the 9th District seat. With that said, Terrell, welcome to Dave's Head. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. No complaints. Um, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Couldn't have said it better myself. So uh, welcome to Dave's Head. Let's see what we can do and explore Dave's Head. No pun intended. All right. <laughs> so what I like to do with all my guests is even though I gave that intro, I like to have my guests introduce themselves in their own words. So if you could take a moment, tell the people who you are, what you do and what you're about. Uh, so first off, uh, thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. Um, been following you for a bit. Uh, very entertaining. Crazy thoughts at times, but I love it. Thank you. Thank a little you. bit about me. Uh, I'm a public defender. Um a military veteran, still active in the Pennsylvania National Guard, uh, father of four, um, part of a blended family, married, uh, political activist, community activist, um, big Philadelphia sports fan, uh, member of the Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, and um, a Delawarean, a transplant Delawarean. I'm uh, originally from Philadelphia. That kind of sums me up right about now. Yeah, no, I, I can't believe I forgot the the five beta sigma part. Um, that's that's <laughs> just weird for me. Um, but yeah, so Terrell is a brother of mine, fraternity brother of mine. Uh, you would be, I believe, the fourth fraternity brother I've had on my podcast in three seasons. I think four. Four sounds about right. <laughs> you, you, you know, but, so that's progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, we got some good brothers in the fraternity, so. Uh, including yourself. So it's always good to get your brothers on and, and talk about the real stuff. So let, let's get into some Q and a, and let's start with the election this past Tuesday and what inspired you to run for that ninth seat? Um, first I was prompted by members of the ninth RD, the democratic party. So I, I came out of nowhere in 2020 and jumped into the Delaware primary for the 14th senatorial seat. At that time, Senator Bruce Ennis um, was holding that seat. He's now retired, and congratulations to Senator Kara Hoffner for taking over the 14th Senate 
district seat. Uh, one of the reasons that prompted me to get into that race because I, I felt as though that Senator Ennis at the time was a little bit out of touch. Um, he's been in office for as long as I've been born. So I'm, I was born in 1982, mm. June, and Senator Ennis took office in 1980. Mm. So that is a long time for a person to be in office. Um, it doesn't lend well to the transition to power or passing the baton, as I like to say. And I, I became, mm -hmm. it, it, to me, his views became a little outdated. So okay. what made me, what, what, uh, prompted me to hop into the ninth district seat was again, um, my opponent in that race has been in office now for almost 10 years. Uh, I believe his views platform and candidacy was a little bit out of touch with the growing and shifting uh demographics for the ninth district uh the ninth district has transitioned from a rural farmland community to a burgeoning suburbia and hmm. my opponent at the time uh, he he operates a little bit on the fringes of being a trumper um embracing hmm. some of the radical uh the radical uh fanatics of the republican party out there on the fringes and his policies, his legislative record was short on substance. Hmm. So with that being said, I know the party, my the Democratic Party, which I'm a member of, wanted to shift, uh, wanted to flip this seat and bring it back into the Democratic fold. We're, we live in a Democratic district that votes primarily Democrat, but I, I would probably call it a blue, di a purple district. Um, people are registered as Democrats, but they don't necessarily identify as Democrats. So they may be Reagan Democrats, Kennedy Democrats, but they haven't really consistently voted um, Democratic for some time. So that, that made it a very difficult and challenging race. Okay, so let's talk about that race. And so, you know, Came up a little short. Uh, the final tally was 55.9 to 44.1. What do you think? Is it the purple? I don't know if you call them purple Democrats or Reagan Democrats or, or JFK Democrats, but what do you think the reason was that you, you came up short? So uh, I would call them Reagan Democrats, and it's a purple district. So purple just meaning it's a blend of the red and the blue, and voters mm -hmm. tend to go either way. I, I think messaging. At this point, I, again, I live in a pretty conservative district. We're below the canal, so we're not connected to the upper portion of the state where people tend to be a little bit more liberal and progressive. And my candidacy, even though I'm not overly uh, progressive, I'm somewhere in the middle, people wanted the status quo. Uh, mm -hmm. Another big issue probably was that all of the new people that have moved into the district, we are Delaware's fastest growing district. We are the largest representative district, but we have a lot of people who are registered to vote in Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, Baltimore, and, and Maryland. Um, they don't have the connection or the familiarity with Delaware politics that they have back in their um, original uh, home. So, we as mm. Democrats have to do a better job with connecting with those people that moved in and really get them out to vote and participate. The one thing that we have learned over the last four election cycles is that, you know what, uh, 
Representative Hensley supporters are going to come out. And mm-hmm. they're fans of his because he gives good constituent services. They don't care about his legislative policy. Um, uh, election night, I remember I was telling you that a black person can't win in my district. And you know what? I was wrong. Um, I, I think black people can win in this district. It's a pretty diverse district. And looking at some of the exit polling, um, the Republican candidate for treasurer, um, Greg Cloverdale, did pretty well in this district. Black Republican. Um, people in this district like conservative ideas. And what that tells me is that we as Democrats or me as a candidate, next time if I choose to run or go for another office, we have to make our message a little bit more digestible for people below the canal. Um, Mm. We're a different community. We're a different segment of Delaware's population. And we don't have the hustle and bustle of Delawareans above the canal in the Wilmington area, the Bear area, Newark, and so on and so on. So uh, I think for me, moving forward next time, I have to come up with a more digestible message, uh, really entice people to come out and really participate in the election process and really get involved in some of the local activities that we have down here in the MOT area, Middletown, Odessa, Townsend. Gotcha. And not just Delaware, but up and down the East Coast around the nation. One of the things I've observed that Democrats suffer from is that apathy. You know, if if there's not that engagement, that desire to vote, that's where Democrats really can get hit. You know, look at the the midterm slaughters that happened under Obama. Right. It was just really Democrats didn't feel motivated to come out. So how do Democrats kind of keep that? You know, not is a really bad analogy, but keep that rat going around a wheel as far as energy is concerned to keep Democrats coming out voting and voting and voting. Well, I, one of the things I, I was just saying and talking with some of my um, campaign staff about is we we're looking at Texas. Right. And I, I think the chairman of the GOP uh, party in Texas put out a message that Ron DeSantis ran on optimism and hope. And you know what? That is what the Republican Party needs. Well, guess who's, who started that trend? Mm-hmm. Barack Obama. And somewhere mm-hmm. along the lines, um, we became a party that is concerned with fighting and combating lies. And we mm-hmm. spend too much time in the weeds when we can just go back to being the, the party of hope, being the party that's more inclusive and more representative of what America is, what America can be in the direction where America wants to go. And somewhere we kind of lost that message. It's been lost in transition as we fight back against lies. We get caught up with um, the messaging and Republicans playing in the dirt. Um, Mm -hmm. We're always on defense. And I I think um, the Republicans have the right idea. They feed their base optimism. Um, they give their base, um, uh, they, they hold their base morally accountable to Republican values, which I think we as Democrats have to give back. Um, we have to cut out the infighting. We have to make our message again, more digestible, make it so that people mm-hmm. want to participate in the election process and, and really embrace the, the public persona of what being a Democrat is. 
And I don't think we've been able to do that over the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, I agree. I think even me personally as somebody who's registered independent, but somebody who's kind of a lean liberal, if that's if that's a correct way to put it. Um, I've spent the last, especially since the Obama years, spent a lot of time, a lot of energy doing the the uh, fact checking and, and fighting against the lies and mis, you know misinformation campaigns and all that stuff. I spent a lot of time on social media, especially doing that. But um, talk real quick about your journey in politics. Like, how did you start in politics and how has your family inspired you um, along that journey? So, uh, I mean, my, my journey in politics started way back in 1992. So uh, I tell people uh, it started with the rise of Bill Clinton. Um, and you probably can remember this, this uh, middle-aged white dude coming out of nowhere playing the saxophone on Arsenio mm-hmm. Hall and mm-hmm. our community calling him the first black president until Obama came along. Um, yeah. I, I think his way with words, his demeanor, um, how he carried himself um, just made him likable and, and how he had the crowd control, crowd awareness and crowd engagement. And back then I said, okay, I want to be president of the United States. Well, the first black president and Obama beat me there. So that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll work on being the second or the third. But from there, it, it, it kind of just evolved with um, just my activism and the rise of CNN um, before MSNBC. You, we go back and you start paying attention to what's going on. So I, I would say the 1992 election, but then at that time we had uh, Everendell coming up, Governor Casey, we had Mayor Street. We saw the rise of uh, politics become more integrated and more accessible for African-Americans beyond just uh, general assembly, general assembly positions or councilman position. We started seeing African-Americans really take on leadership roles. And with that, with that, I began to see myself. And I think um, really growing up, I thought I'd be the first black mayor of Philly. But through the Mm. circumstances and changes, I ended up in Delaware. So now my Mm. goal is to be the first black governor of Delaware, um, which isn't really a pipe dream anymore. Um, We're going to work on making sure that we have some more diversity at the top of the ticket in in Delaware and um, see if I can put together a platform in candidacy that make people want to help that vision come true. But uh, I think... Looking back in the early 2000s, I started out volunteering on Al Gore's campaign. From there, uh, our guy um, out in Detroit became mayor. And even though he had some pitfalls and disappointment, um, I I think he became America's mayor and an inspiration for young black candidates, especially those that grew up listening to hip hop. Uh, that say, hey, yo, we can make it there. If he can make it and become mayor of Detroit, now we've all learned from his mistakes and know how to do things a little differently and and better. And then during the uh, Obama years, we had Ray Nagins, again, another African-American candidate who, uh, or mayor who fell on the wrong side of the law. But during mm-hmm. his administration, during Katrina, you really were able to see some of the things that he was able to do for that city uh, before and post Katrina. 
and didn't hear her. So again, um, 2020, after the George Floyd incident, I started writing letters. So I'm a letter writer. So I write to the president. I, I write to our U.S. senators. I write to everybody, especially when I'm bored. Um, or <laughs> someone give me a little uh, bone to chase. Sometimes I can't help it. I'm like the hamster on the hamster wheel. I'm going to keep going. Uh, I wrote to our everyone in our general assembly. That's my first interaction with politics in, in Delaware right after George Floyd. And I told him we need police transparency. We have to change Leobor and we have to make it so that people, uh, people of color, black people, disenfranchised people and community do not fear the police. And I wanted to know how many incidents similar to George Floyd have we had in the state of Delaware? We'll never know that right now because of Leobord, because of the police officer bill of rights, which extend police officers, uh, protections that everyday citizens don't get. And no mm -hmm. other profession in the state of Delaware is able to operate under that veil of secrecy like police officers. So that was my initial drive from there. I became active in our RD. Um, I also just out of nowhere, just filed to run for, uh, uh, state Senate in the 14th for, 14th district, me, Kara Hoffner, and Bruce Ennis. And out of that showing, I was able to garner and split votes with Kara Hoffner. And um, we both still came and came up short running against Senator Ennis. But it was really my first for uh, foray into running for office and to mm -hmm. commanding a public spotlight. From there, wrote a whole bunch of op-eds. I tend to write an op-ed once a month. Um, have the local papers and stuff publish it and just share my thoughts. Hmm. Got you. So <clears throat> I want to shift a little bit and talk about politics um, in this country. And we talked a little bit about some, uh, you know, the fact checking disinformation campaigns. But to me, the last 15 years, politics has taken a real dark shift. And part of that is the, the lies, the slander, uh, fear mongering, that type of stuff. But to you, what's the biggest problem in politics in the country? Um, accountability, really. Um, I, I think when, as Barack Obama rose to prominence, and it became evident that he was going to become his uh, become the first African American president in American history, um, we we saw the insidious side of America come out. Those people mm -hmm. that are um, prejudice, racist, um, people that still believe in Jim Crow era laws. And they wanted to oppress a, a, a shift in demographic that is changing in America to fit, fit and bend to their will. Right now in America, by the time 2030, 2035 come around, white Americans will no longer be the majority in this country. And that scares some people. But I, I tell people since 2000, after we changed the, uh, the census and we allow biracial people who had one drop of African-American blood in a system to select that they were white, Indian, Hispanic, Latino, or to just click other, that shrunk our numbers considerably. Mm -hmm. um, people like the idea of black culture but they don't want to identify and be counted as black American or African American. So 
I, I think racism was allowed to creep up and rear its ugly head with an American within an American political system and from there uh, we unleash Pandora's box and for some weird reason the Republican Party has not want to put that to bed mm-hmm. so if you go back to 2008 it kind of started with Mitch McConnell and I don't believe mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell is racist or prejudiced but he appealed to a side that allowed people and individuals like Donald Trump to begin to attack President Obama's candidacy character based on nothing more than lies and innuendos. Mm-hmm. And from there, we've had a snowball effect that the Republican Party has been unwilling to stop or can't stop. Yeah. Yeah, I always say, um, I'm still waiting for those, uh, what were they called? Um, death Purpose. panels. When uh, the ACA was, was, you know, going through the legislative process, one of the big fear monitoring tactics was, well, there's going to be death panels. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for these to appear on pay-per-view or something. Um, <laughs> you know, Obama was coming to take your guns. I'm, I'm still waiting for that to happen, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I think the Democratic Party had a chance to really come out and defend um Barack Obama, look, Michelle Obama and Barack Obama had to take the high road. Mm -hmm. The Congressional Black Caucus did not. And when we allowed some of those people to run unchecked, this is what we ended up with. Um, It it started as an infection and now it's become a full-blown pandemic. And the Republican Party is partially responsible for it, but Democrats didn't do nothing. They chose to turn a black, mm-hmm. the, a blind eye to it. They thought that this was self-correct itself, and we were late to the party. We were late calling out fascists. We were late calling out mm-hmm. racism. We were late with um, sh- publicly shaming people for their discriminatory language. If you go back and look, and you can remember, you look at uh, late night shows, you look at um, mm-hmm. Comedy Central or whatever, we, we were making fun of these people. Um, mm-hmm. And we thought it was funny when they made fun of Sarah Pellin. And now we look back and like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have condoned or laughed this hard. And yeah. we allowed that stuff to enter public spaces, and now we're, we're, we're dealing with the um, fallout for it. We have people that openly lie to the American public. We're denying that an insurrection yeah. happened. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, my favorite from back then, I think, was uh, Sharia law. I'm, I was still, I was waiting for Sharia law to, to go into effect because I, I just kind of wanted to see what was going to happen. You know, <laughs> it was unfamiliar to me. I'm joking. I'm kidding. People, I'm kidding. <laughs> Look, um, uh, we we thought a whole bunch of things were going to happen. Like um, some of the lies out there, they were, what were they going to do? Kick out all the, uh, the birthers, the kids that were born here mm-hmm. by illegal parents. Or are they going to deport them all? Mm-hmm. Like, come on, people. Um, Obama not not only was gonna uh, take all your guns, but he was gonna bring socialism to America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I look back and I tell people, you know, guys, socialism has been in America for a long time. Um, we don't call it socialism, but the amount of corporate welfare we give out in this country 
I mean, it's tantamount to what? Socialism. We'd rather mm-hmm. pay corporations than pay people. Um, we, yeah. We've created such a huge gap within the wealth structure that I'm not sure unless we do something drastic that we'll ever have a working and middle class that our grandparents had and that our parents yeah. may have had. Yeah. All right. So these, these next two questions, we're going to play a little game called why am I right or wrong? Um, okay. <laughs> so the first one I, I talked about being an independent registered independent all my life. Um, I think the answer to what's wrong with our politics is a strong third party emerging to kind of put pressure on both parties to do the right thing. Why am I right or wrong? I think you're right. Also wrong. Um, I, 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 I do <laughs> think, um, first I'm a traditionalist. So I'm one of them people that, that agree with the two party system. But, um, I, I think we've had so much fragmentation uh, within the two-party system that a third and a fourth party is coming. And um, we see it. Uh, it started with the Republican Party and it started when they had the birthers and the Tea Party within the Republican Party. We see how it's fragmented. Mm. And it's obvious that there's different levels of conservatism within that um, within the grand old party. We look at it mm. in... Um, the Democratic Party, if you're a moderate, you're on the outside of the party. And we, uh, I mean, with the squad and all, you, you, you're literally forcing people to pick sides. So with uh, Senator Manchin, Manchin down in West Virginia, look, 30 years ago under Bill Clinton, he's a moderate center-leaning Democrat. Today, <laughs> My man falls squarely into the Republican Party, but he's not mm. Republican enough to fit into Donald Trump's or Ron DeSantis party. So we have to we have to look. And I, I think America, Americans, especially our generation, Gen X, Gen, Gen uh, Y and Z and millennials, we don't like being placed in the one category. We all like to drift mm-hmm. um, across different spaces and don't really like to be defined by one set of rules. We're multifaceted. Um, Mm. And in that, and in that lens, you're right. Um, We need a third party. And I I think one is coming. Um, I I think the working families party is making a lot of headway and it's going to challenge Mm. the democratic party to either uh, get back to its roots and um, base like under the Kennedy administration and really uh, appeal to the work in the middle class, or this third party is going to emerge and really take votes away. Um, Mm. And also the the Republican Party. I mean, they're in the midst of a civil war. If it's not happening already, it's coming. You have a generational divide in both parties happening. I think over the next 25 years, we'll probably see a third, a strong third party emerge. And I think it'll be the working families party. Hmm. They're organized. They're, they're, uh, they're representative of what America looks like, meaning they're diverse. Um, their values Hmm. are centered on making 
working everyday American lives better. And that, that's something that I embrace, though I am a registered Democrat. So right and wrong. Okay, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take that as right though, because it sounded like I was more right than wrong. Um, I said I'm a traditionalist, so I I have to stick to my guns. <laughs> but I I think a third party is coming, and I think it might be a fourth one. So okay. I had the crystal yeah, ball. Yeah, I wasn't thinking I, fourth, but that'd be interesting. I would say by the time we're in our sixties, um, on at the tail end of our life, I think it'll mm. be a, a four party system almost, maybe. Gotcha. Well, I hope when I'm in my 60s, I'm not at the tail end. I hope I got a, you know, a couple more decades couple, left. A couple decades. I mean, the fourth quarter of our life stage. <laughs> gotcha. Using okay. a football analogy. All right. So so the next one, uh, why am I right or wrong? So every year around election time, I go on this little monologue tirade, if you will. I talk about the election process and, and how I'm just, just frustrated with it. I can go online and securely log in, verify my identity and pay my taxes. I can go to my bank and transfer thousands of dollars all around this world. I can do all these things, verify my ID, <laughs> but I can't vote online. We need to be able, it's 2022. We should be voting online, or at least we should be making efforts for people to vote online. More t- participation, more more speaking from the, po- the populace. Why am I right or wrong? You're absolutely right. Um, again, you're right and wrong, but you're more right than wrong. <laughs> Look, I, as you know, one of the pillars to my candidacy is voting rights. I think we are a, our democracy is healthy. Our Republic is healthy when we're more inclusive and everyone gets to vote. Um, as, Mm. as we move forward, more, more, many more Americans are working non-traditional hours. Uh, many more Americans aren't able to make it to the polls just because of life. And Mm -hmm. I, I think early voting, um, electronic voting, mail-in ballots, any way that people can vote is good for our democracy. I, I, I don't understand why people want to silence votes. Now, I, I, I'm sentimental to the ballot box because I, I know our history. I know what it's taken for us, especially people that look like us and that come from our lineage to be able to participate. So it's something symbolic mm-hmm. about it for me being able to just go get up on election day and, and go vote. So I never want to rob us of that experience. And I, I know with technology and innovation, we want to uh, move away from some of the things that, some of the mechanisms that help build and define our country. But, uh, Yes, I, I think um, electronic voting will be introduced. But again, we have a stubborn block of uh, leaders that's still in power in our country. And as we get younger, I think you said we had a Generation Alpha guy that's uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S. Congress. As more people like that and more people in our cohort rise to power, we are going to come up with innovative ways to get everyone to participate and vote. And I, I think electronic voting is on its way. It's still a, um, it's still one of those taboo topics and still seems outlandish to some people. Yeah. So they're, they're going to hold off from talking about that. But I will start with, look, early voting, vote by mail, and opening it up for a period of time before election day to allow people 
who work non-traditional schedules and hours the opportunity to vote when it's convenient for them. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it's it's just, to me, the idea is, you know, I'm a big data guy, technology guy. So I think, you know, as I move through life, I expect, you know, I I expect this to be flying cars by now, but I I expect this (laughs) to kind of advance technology. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we we got machines and I forget where it was, I think it was Florida or might've been somewhere in PA as well, where the ink wasn't dark enough. And so they had to stop the entire process. Um, You know, I think it was in Atlanta or a suburb of Atlanta where they ran out of paper. So they had to keep people in line and, and go and drive. I think that actually happened in Delaware too. It did happen um, in my And they district. had to drive to the next precinct. Yeah. You know, the fact that we have those those difficulties with the election process, when literally we can just create an app and vote on my phone or go to a website and it, it just baffles my mind. We have, we have enough brilliant minds in this country. The technology is there, the ability to do it. Um, it's just data. That's all it is. Um, so, that that's I'm off my soapbox, so that that's my belief. <laughs> I, um, I, so I last question in this you. segment, unless you got something, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say I agree with you. I, I think most millennials, people in our cohort, would agree with you, and the opportunity to allow people to vote easier, and the opportunity to get more people involved, it is uh, the upside to that is enormous. But I, I think again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a segment of our population that don't want more people voting. They want to keep, Yeah. they want to stay in power. And one of the ways they do that is by disenfranchising people um, from voting and making it more difficult and putting up barriers. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's, that's, that's also the other side of that coin too. There's a, there's the more participation there is, it, the worse it is for some segment of the, the, the electorate, you know? All right. So, so last question in the Q and a section. So I know you talked a little bit about potentially a, a governor a candidacy in the future. Um, but the overall broad question is politically what's next for you? Um, you know what? I, I'm going to sit back. Uh, I'm going to sit back for about six months, um, and, uh, evaluate the landscape and see what opportunities are available to me and what type of support and um, momentum and donations and fundraising I could build to take advantage of whatever opportunities come my way. So I I know that's a politically correct answer, but at the moment, I I don't know. But I do know that in 2024, um, there are opportunities for me to, again, run and try to advance and move Delaware forward within my ability and within my uh within my power and if the right opportunity presents itself i'll be out there but in the meantime i'll go back to my community activism work get active uh finish up some work that i have for the national guard and go back to being a public defender okay all right well yeah 2024 is what just around the corner so that that decision is going to be coming up pretty fast on you yeah, that, that, that gives me about six months to rest. Um, you know what? Me and you are going to get into some good trouble. So we, we have some things on the fraternity side that we can do. Um, you know I'm encouraging, encouraging you to run. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, we, we I'm going to talk back. about that later. <laughs> I'm going to sit back, uh, check out the landscape, decompress. Um uh, the loss was um, 
I mean, you saw how I handled it. I think I did it with dignity and grace. That's democracy at work. So you want to mm. get into this game, you got to be willing. You get in with the expectation or with the knowledge and understanding that you could lose. Um, so yeah. there's been thousands of people that reached out to me, texting, phone calling, um, emails that have encouraged me to continue to run and um, look forward to seeing me somewhere on a ballot in 2024. I'm not committing to that, people. But uh, <laughs> believe me, I'm okay. I understand how this process works. I'm not discouraged. And I look forward to helping Delaware any way I can in the future. Okay. So that's the uh, end of the Q&A segment. And now I'd like to move on to my favorite part with my guest, which is called First Thoughts. Uh, but first, First Thoughts is brought to you in part by SRE Solutions, simple solutions for complex problems. For over 15 years, SRE Solutions has provided today's solution to prevent tomorrow's problem. SRE Solutions will provide you with effective, efficient, robust, and reliable business intelligence, application website design, PC support services, and so much more. For more information, visit their website at www.sresolutions.org. Now, First Thoughts, my favorite segment with my guests. Um, as I like to say, if this is your first time tuning in or watching, shame on you, but I'm happy you're here. The way it works is I present my guests with a word or a phrase to get their first thought. They're not privy to this because that kind of would destroy the whole first thought thing. So, Terrell, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So feel free to elaborate as much or as little as you want to. Uh, I got a couple for you. I start off with a nice cupcake one. Or at least I try. I think it's cupcake <laughs> every time. Um, so the first one is Democratic Party. If I say Democratic Party to you, what's your first thought? Um we are the party of the majority. So what does that mean? Um, we are the most diverse and most inclusive political party in America. Therefore, I always tell people we are not perfect and we do not always get it right. There is a lot of infighting, but the thing that separates the Democratic Party from any other party, faction or group in America is that one, we have diplomacy, we have tolerance, we are forced to communicate with one another to get legislation passed. And that means we are forced to compromise a whole lot. I always, I tell people it's the 80-20 rule when it comes to the Democratic Party. Mm. Just because it's such a large umbrella of people that fall under us. So you have the LGBTQ community, you have women's rights, you have men's rights, you have elders, you have the disabled community, you have um, African-American civil rights, right? So all of these different competing factions fall under the Democratic Party. Um, you have immigration, uh, you, have the, you have the Indian community, the Asian community, the Islamic community, you have Christianity, all of these, all of these different competing factions that um, mm -hmm. when we're placed in a room together and we have to come up with policies that represent the majority, we have to compromise and we're not representing just one secular group or one secular interest. We are the party of the people. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> gotcha. All right. So now let's get into a little bit. The next first thought is this. If I say Trump versus DeSantis to you, what's your first thought? DeSantis. Okay. Um, you know what? Uh, the bigotry, the hatred. Donald Trump almost destroyed mm. this country. And mm. uh, you know what? 
the insurrection happened. January 6th happened. Um, what more can we say? He tried to circumvent democracy. So even though uh, DeSantis scares me, um, if elected, he's a wild card. But you know what? Um, somewhere along the lines, we, we know he's still American and he respects the democracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, next first thought, election fraud. If I say election fraud, what's your first thought? Non-existent, doesn't exist, and it hasn't happened. It's a myth. It's like that unicorn or that Sasquatch. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I'm not even going to speak on it because it kind of feeds the narrative that it does exist. Election fraud does not exist in America. Next to last first thought, if I say Supreme Court to you, what's your first thought? Clarence Thomas must go. Oh. Okay. Look, look, look. Um, I, I, I tell people, um, since 2000, we've had um, two Democratic presidents, right? Um, mm-hmm. We've had elections stolen, right? There has not been a Republican presidential president that has won the popular vote since George Bush first term. And that first term happened to be mm-hmm. 9-11, right? You take that out, his mm-hmm. second term, his rate, he did not win the popular vote. Kerry won. Um, Obama, of course, won the popular vote in electoral college. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Um, uh, Biden won the popular vote in the Electoral College. And I I mentioned that because since 2000, we have had six Supreme Court justices appointed by um, Republican presidential presidents that have not won the popular vote. And that Supreme Court has impacted, adversely impacted and gone against the 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 mass majority of Americans wishes, so mm-hmm. yeah, I I will say Clarence Thomas must go, but we've lost three seats, mm-hmm. and on top of that, I think it's time to add term limits to the Supreme Court. Um, when it was originally constructed, um, the average lifespan for a justice was about fifteen years. That's more than doubled. And when you have that type of uh, longevity on a court, it doesn't allow for fresh new ideas. So after 25 years, I think it's time for Supreme Court justices to step aside and allow new people to come on and um, represent the cohort and the generation that they're a part of. Yeah, no, I definitely like term limits on Supreme Court justice. I'm also a big fan of uh, term limits on um, representatives and senators as well. Um, but it's like, um, getting them to vote, to remove themselves. They'll never enact that. Um, but it's funny you mentioned Supreme court because my, or I'm sorry, funny you mentioned, um, Barack Obama, because that was gonna be my next, uh, question. But before we get to that, or let's combine it. So my last first thought was going to be Barack Obama, which your first thought is on Barack Obama, but add to that, there's grumblings or rumors, you know, when Biden was uh, first coming in that 
if he had a SCOTUS nomination, he might nominate Barack Obama. So combine the first thought with Barack Obama and Barack Obama sitting on SCOTUS. What's your first thought? Um, not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think Barack, um, even if we wanted to, I don't think he would. Uh, I, th- I think Barack Obama's um, public life and um, serving capacity is over. I think he had a good 15 year run and he's tired and I don't blame him. Um, mm-hmm. but I would love the idea. I think, uh, Michelle Obama would be a more logical choice, um, mm. to serve on the Supreme court, but I don't think she wants to do it neither. I think they're ready. They've enjoyed having some semblance of their life return after becoming rock stars mm-hmm. in the mid 2000s and being influential members of the American public and being political royalty in this country. Um, when I, what do I mm-hmm. think of Barack Obama when um, you mentioned him? Um, political royalty, the first African-American president, um, the trailblazer. And, and you know what? Uh, he did it from the muscle. Um, can I say that? He did it mm-hmm. like straight from the muscle. Um, he worked his way up. Um, after graduating law school, uh, he worked as a social advocate. Um, he ran for office three times before winning. That looks like it's going to be my uh, my scenario too, my pathway. Um, throughout his career, he's never forgot about the common man or the common person. Um, Barack Obama didn't come out of law school looking to make big bucks, even though he could have. He could have went to corporate America. Mm. He could have went to the Justice Department and been a civil rights icon or followed the footsteps of Thurgood Marshall. But he immediately started serving inner city Chicagoans. And I, I think that's a testament to who he is as a man, as a person, um, as an American. And throughout that, despite the strain that it put on his and Michelle's marriage throughout those times um he continued to serve people mm-hmm. uh he advocated all the time all the time and and he took that uh he took that with him when he started running for office and when he finally won a state senator in chicago um as the public there got to know him that that uh capoted him to uh running for u.s senate which he was elected. And then from there, after one term in the Senate, not even a whole term, he was elected to the presidency where he was reelected. Uh, I think um, Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, the Obamas as a whole are American treasures and their stories should be told for generations to come. And it will be. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Darrell. Um, that's all for first thoughts. What I do like to do before I let my guests go is give them the opportunity to promote anything or anything you want to talk about. So if you have anything you want to promote or anything you want to talk about, feel free to do so now. You know what? Um, I, I will tell people that are going to listen to your podcast that mental health is a rising concern in our country. I don't have to say that. And one of the things that I'm going to continue to advocate for here in Delaware 
is a mental health court. And I think that we should really work on expanding mental health court and early intervention throughout throughout all the cities and states in America. Um, I think Philadelphia has a model that should be embraced and improved. Uh, they have something called a 302 mechanism that allows for involuntary commitment for those individuals who are suffering from a medical emergency. Um, people that have that are experiencing a mental health crisis are suffering from a medical emergency. Therefore, they do not need uh, to be prosecuted and processed through the criminal justice system. I believe that if we begin to treat mental health symptoms and people suffering from mental health illness, we can reduce our incarceration rate and in those people who are um, incarcerated in America. And I, I think now is the time to start. Moreover, I would tell people that we as Americans have been doing a social experiment that has adversely impacted the lives of Americans throughout this country. Back in 1980, Ronald Reagan did away with mental health facilities in this country um, and went somewhere with community-based mental health treatment. And there is a segment of our population, a small segment of those individual, of individuals who suffer from mental illness that need to be institutionalized. And nonprofit organizations in this country are doing a piss poor job. And those people are ending up in our criminal justice system. Um, we as Americans have to really get back to thinking what's best for people who are suffering from mental illness and think of ways to better uh, protect those individuals, protect the public while maintaining their safety and dignity. And I, I think um, that is a discussion that should be had um, throughout every community in this country. And with that, those are my closing thoughts. And um, Brother Ewens, if I could say that, thank you for having me. Sure. Um, Thank you for your support for my candidacy. Many people don't know, but you were the first volunteer to help me get this campaign off the uh, ground um, last year. And um, I'm eternally grateful. I don't normally lean on the shield, but um, I know at that time you had just met me and were starting to get to know me. But I am incredibly grateful for all your help, your support and um, everything that you do, not only for the fraternity, but for the community and for people like me and helping them achieve, chase, and um, inspire to reach their goals. So thank you. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I'll, I'll pay you um, for that, that compliment a little later. Um, <laughs> you already <laughs> have, bro. You already have. But uh, no, definitely, uh, it was definitely my pleasure. Um, you know, it was my first... For you know, toe dip into the campaign process and some of the things around that. So it's definitely intriguing. Um, I talked about potentially running for office at some point in my life. We'll see, you know, we'll see if that path or if that's on my path, we'll see how that goes. But, um, uh, definitely appreciate the, the effort and what you try to do as well. And, um, you know, it didn't work out this time, but you know, there's always next time and the next battle to fight. So, uh, definitely appreciate you as well. And thank you for stepping into Dave's head. Uh, no problem. Invite me back anytime. My favorite segment, absolute favorite segment of my podcast is my grin. 
which stands for great reason to be in love with now. Verywellmind.com is an award-winning, quote, resource for reliable, compassionate, and up-to-date information on the mental health topics that matter most to you, whose mission is to, quote, help you prioritize your mental health and find balance amid the chaos of daily life. Now, among the many topics on his site, they talk about relationships and marital problems. Huge, huge section under that. A lot, a lot of great topics, by the way. Check it out. Just if you, even if you don't have problems in your relationship or marriage, just check out some of these articles. It's really, really, really well written. A lot of good gems. Check it out. Trust me. But one article I feel appropriate for this episode, because we're talking about the elections and we're talking about uh, trauma situations stressful situations is one called coping with political differences in your romantic relationship. How the hell is this a grin, Dave? Here's how. There are many differences that can occur, different topics, different areas that can occur in relationships and marriages. One of the most polarizing, I think, is politics. If you have a household split down the middle, you know, talking about the heads of the household, the, the husband and the wife, where one is, say, Democrat, one is Republican, one is liberal, one is conservative, one is pro-life, one is pro-choice. All the different polarization topics that we can come up with. That could put a huge strain on a relationship. Looking at how politics has gotten really, for lack of a better word, crazy the last, say, decade, you could have a situation where there's a sane political person in a household and there's a crazy political person in a household. So how do you deal with these political differences in your romantic relationships? I want to talk about one of the subtopics they talk about, which is finding common ground. This is assuming, first of all, that there's common ground to be had and that you can actually find it. They propose four questions to ask your partner if the attempt to find common ground is genuine. I'll say that, I'll put that preface out there because you can placate to somebody and you know just say things, ask the questions to make it seem like you're trying to find common ground or you can actually be about finding common ground with the person you share a household with. The first one is what does this position mean to you? What is the position you hold? Conservative, liberal, pro-life, pro-choice, Democrat, Republican, whatever. What does that position mean to you? And it's an opportunity for someone really, the way I look at it, really to explain their position. I don't think it's a time to critique or stop and interrupt. It's really an opportunity for you to get clear, concise, hopefully. You don't need to talk for two hours with one question, but clear and concise explanation for why they believe what they believe politically. It's an opportunity to listen Right to show that you're interested in what they're saying, interested in their position, interested in understanding their beliefs. Not that you agree with them, but you just want better understanding because maybe you even had a, a bad misconception of what they actually believe. Maybe you didn't understand the reasons they support this person versus that person or this ideal versus that ideal. So what does your position mean to you? The second one is... What values or experiences have led you to feel this way? Now, that may be answered in the first question, but this allows you specifically to find what may have triggered the path that they're on with their beliefs politically. 
you never know what it is. It, it could be, I just didn't like this person and uh, it started to make sense when they said this and this sounded good and I watched Fox News and they said this or I watched MSNBC or I watched CNN or I just got tired of immigrants or whatever the reason. I had a bad experience, right? That could have triggered this. Again, it's an opportunity to listen. Not to judge, but listen. The third question is, what is your ideal dream? Now, this is actually my favorite question. I'll tell you why. To me, ideal dream is the extreme, extreme area of their beliefs, right? So if you're conservative, what's your ideal dream? Again, this is politically, not I want to live on a beach, but what's your ideal dream politically? Well, my ideal dream is that all abortion is illegal. It doesn't matter what reason. My ideal dream is that, you know, SCOTUS is completely conservative, judges all over the place, which it's finding out what the max of their beliefs are. What they really, really want is essentially what the question is. What do you really want politically? Now, this is, is a great opportunity to ask some probing questions off of this one as well, because somebody says something like, you know, my ideal dream is that abortions are 100 percent illegal. I don't care about the situation across this country. Why do you think that? Do you think women don't have situations medically where they could either lose their life if they continue with the process or they can abort the entire process and save their life? You don't think those dilemmas are out there medically? But whatever the, the, the answer to that question is an opportunity to probe a little bit. And then the last question is, what do you want or need? Now, <laughs> this could get tricky. This could really scare the shit out of you. Because what they could want need is like the eradication of the other party or death to immigrants. I don't know. Something it could be. It could really show how just fucking crazy they are. Excuse my language. So be prepared for any and every possible thing coming as an answer to that question. What do you want? What do you need? Again, politically. Those four questions can start dialogue, allow for middle ground to to foster, right? Because here's the thing you don't want to do. You don't want to let these political beliefs split your household in half to the point where it bleeds into the relationship, the core of your relationship, and erodes it. So one of the things they say as well in this article is if the beliefs are hurting your relationship, right? They say this, quote, criticism and contempt are toxic relationship behaviors. And if they aren't stopped, they can create irreparable damage. I say that's true, whether it be politically or non-politically. If you have criticism constantly and contempt for your partner constantly, there's a larger conversation that needs to be had, number one, with yourself about the status or what should be the status of the relationship. But number two, with them, because obviously they are doing something that you're not willing to co-sign. It's not something that, you know, is a green flag. It's a red flag. And we had a conversation many, many, many episodes ago about red flags and those types of things. If you're constantly feeling need to criticize them and you constantly have this contempt for who they are or how they carry themselves or what they believe, you might want to think about this relationship continuing in the future. They also say, however, if your non-negotiables oppose each other and you and your partner exhausted all options in terms of trying to find a middle ground, it might be time to consider breaking up. Dave, that's not a grin. 
Yes, the hell it is, because no one should be stuck in a relationship that makes them unhappy. The best thing you can do for yourself is break up if that is the case. If you're non-negotiables, again, these are your non-negotiables. These are your green flag, red flag, no in between. If you're non-negotiables, again, politically, because pol politics bleed into life. If your non-negotiables are not being met, or in their case, what they say non-negotiables oppose each other. The best thing you can do for yourself, for your sanity, for your happiness, is break up. It's okay. That's a grin. A great reason to be in love with now is because you're loving yourself enough to end the relationship. Absolutely. The last thing I want to talk about is what to do if your partner has been manipulated by propaganda. So they talk about this um, in many different aspects. I'll give my own spin to it. And I'll wrap it all up by telling you somehow there's a way <laughs> that this is a grin. First of all, it's important to note, they say, that propaganda works because something about the message communicates with the people's inner hopes and fears. If you paid attention to politics the last 15 plus years, it's become very, very much about playing or communicating or resonating with people's hopes and fears. And so those things have gotten to the point where it's extreme and created extreme reactions that have led to people being manipulated politically. It sucks. It's bottom of the barrel, disgusting to me, but it's, it's part of politics now. It's, it's the root of politics right now, and it sucks, and it's shameful. The first thing that they say, and I also agree with, is do not shame them. Don't shame them. Don't shame people. Listen, it's funny to tell jokes about some of the wackos out there. I get it. I do it myself. But don't shame them. Again, this is if you're trying to continue this relationship. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not trying to continue a relationship, shame the hell out of them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if your intention this is the whole premise of this whole thing. If your intention is to build a solid foundation of common ground between the two of you, these steps or these things that I'm saying are essentially a part of that, an essential part of that. Don't shame them. Regardless how ridiculous the propaganda has manipulated them, don't shame them. Have conversations. Talk factually. But you don't want to, as a number two thing, you don't want to bombard them or overwhelm them with counter evidence. I'm a data person. I'm a black and white type of person. I'm a facts-driven individual. The premise of me is to bombard you with counter evidence. I should have been on a debate team in high school if there was one. I don't think we had one. But if there was one, I should have been on it. When I'm presented with facts, verifiable facts, because not all facts are facts. Hold other topic. Verifiable facts, data-driven facts. And I'm presented with the counter of that or falsehoods by someone. My immediate reaction, especially if I know it verbatim, I won't remember your name, but I'll remember facts verbatim, um, is to counter evidence the person. You're incorrect. Because here are the facts. Part of that is me, my, my natural nature. I'm a fact-driven person. I, I'm an honest person. So I can't, in my head, allow someone to communicate or put out there something that's blatantly false. A lie. Let's be real. 
the other side of that is I do kind of have this internal mission to help people and inform people. And so if someone has a belief that's just 100% not true or based on lies, a part of me feels responsible for it, for making sure they know the truth. In this situation, if I have a partner where we're trying to find common ground, my inner self will be muted or has to be muted a little bit so as to not overwhelm her with the facts that I know. Baby steps. Let's look at this together. Let's let's look at the actual data. Let's look at the research. Let's look at the documentation. Let's look at the legislation. Let's actually read it together. So that you get a better understanding of what the truth is so you can stop believing these lies. To that end, reading legislation together, looking up and researching together, looking at data and facts together. To that end, the third thing I think that's very important is after we do all these things, in order to build this common ground, the next thing is to ask genuine questions to promote critical thinking. Now, in the beginning, that critical thinking is going to be extremely hard for them to do. You can show them that an apple is red and an orange is green. Oh, excuse me, orange is green. An apple is red and an orange is yellow. What the hell? An apple is red and an orange is orange. I, I'm not even going to edit that out because what the hell just happened? Um, you can show them that an apple is red and an orange is orange. My problem is I was going to my next thought before I finish this one. You can show them, and I'm trying this a fifth time. You can show them an apple is red and an orange is orange. But if they believe that an orange is purple and an apple is blue, it may be hard, even with evidence, to convince them of the true colors. It may be even harder after you show them what the truth and the facts really are and start asking them questions. So what, what, what color do you now see an apple as? Or do you see how this is a lie? It's, it may be really hard for them to critically think and properly answer, even with the new information because it's been so entrenched and just rooted in their brains because somebody they like, right? Because a lot of this manipulation comes from people they like, TV shows they like, news networks they like, friends, family they trust, whatever, telling them that something is true that's not really true. And I get it, you're their partner, you're, you're in a relationship with them, they should trust you as much, if not more, than anybody else in their life. However, they may have a foundation that's rooted in falsehoods and lies and manipulation. And so you coming in, trying to change them, regardless how long you've known each other, may not be the thing that they easily handle. Hopefully in the end, though, you do find that common ground. Hopefully in the end, you look up months, years, whatever, later. And even if, say you're a Democrat and, and she's a Republican, you haven't brought her over to her being a Republican. Or she, you know, say you're a Republican and she's a Democrat. You haven't brought her over to be a Republican. You haven't caused them to switch parties is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I feel like I'm still stuck on this Apple Orange thing. But... You haven't converted them from the party or whatever. You haven't changed the root of their ideals, their foundation, but you've got them to have common ground. And hopefully that common ground is rooted in facts, right? If nothing else, if you start to have that, that similar path of walking together, 
being that the thing you walk on is facts. The things you stand on is facts. Regardless of what your party affiliation is, if you have that, then hopefully, politically, your house will be calm, loving, rooted in fact. And that's all you can ask for. You can have different party affiliations. Look, we can have different signs on the lawn. Don't matter. It's like it's like being in a household with a Cowboys fan. I've done that, unfortunately. We can have Eagles and Cowboys banners all over the place. Split the yard in half. Who cares? They're literally, I had a rug that had Eagles on one side and Cowboys on the other. But we've got to be rooted in fact that the Cowboys haven't won anything in 26 or 27 years. And the Eagles won a Super Bowl a couple years ago. That's got to be a factual part of the conversation. Just saying. Eight no, but hopefully that allows your relationship to be able to handle the political ups and downs and swings back and forth. And think about this: one of the most polarizing things in this country right now is politics. If you can get it together as a partnership, because that's what relationships are partnerships through political disagreements, that'll set up your relationship to handle just about anything. And I don't know about you, but that's an excellent, amazing, great reason to be in love with now. Just saying. I want to thank Terrell A. Williams for stepping into Dave's head and just kind of, you know, talking about the situation with, with running for a position and not getting over the hump. It's, it's, I'm sure it was a tough conversation to have. It's a tough reality. But as you heard, he's not done and there's more to come. Not everyone wins their first or, you know, wins every contest they get into politically. But if they, you know, keep walking the path, keep, you know, the mission going, then anything is possible. Check them out at www.terrell4de. So T-E-R-R-E-L-L, the number four, the letters D-E dot com. And on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you can find him at Terrell for Delaware again. So T-E-R-R-E-L-L, the number four, D-E. Support our sponsors, Digger Movers, for all your local and long-distance moving needs. Find them at www.diggamovers.com. That's www.diggamovers.com. And SRE Solutions, for all your PC support, repair, antivirus, removal, network setup, configuration, all types of stuff. You got an office you need wired, they do that too. Check them out at www.sresolutions.org. That's www.sresolutions.org. And if you're interested in sponsoring on Dave's Head, reach out to me on any of my social media, and I promise we can make it happen. So free speech, midterms, and common ground. All great reasons to be in love with now. That's all for this episode of Dave's Head. Follow and feedback on our Dave's Head podcast Facebook page on Instagram and Twitter at Dave's Head Pod. Subscribe and give your sentiments at Dave's Head Podcast on YouTube and listen on your preferred podcast player at anchor.fm forward slash Dave's Head Pod. For more information on all things Dave's Head, check out our website at daveshead.card with two R's dot C-O. Episodes premiere on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. Thanks to all my headers for tuning in and remember, enjoy life because life should be fun. Take care.